Well, good afternoon, good morning, and good evening, everyone. And welcome to Crucial Conversations. I'm Peter. And I'm Kevin. Who's rolling his eyes at my greeting. <laughs> it wasn't quite a Truman Show greeting. It was, it was close. It was, I know. I, I did it differently on purpose so that we don't get in trouble with copyright laws and trademarks. and, and Yeah, whatnot. like enough people are listening to this to violate... <laughs> Because we're making so much profit right. on these that yeah, the, the Truman Show people are feel threatened. Yes, yeah, we, so we might get into it. there. Now we've said Truman Show four hundred times. It yeah, will get taken off. From. Yep, it's we're in trouble. But anyways, it's been a while since we've done a podcast because we, we haven't been around, or we've been around other places. Yeah, we've been around where these microphones were not present. So, but we're back. And we got a new topic today. <laughs> and Kevin sneezing. <laughs> that was not the topic. Sorry. The topic was not how to sneeze um, on a podcast. So we had an interesting conversation with some friends over the weekend, right? So that kind of sparked the idea for this podcast topic. Interesting com- interesting conversations tend, tend to do that, don't they? And now your microphone is banging all over the place. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> we, it's been like a month since we've done this. Everything's a train wreck. We apologize to our listener or two, however many there are this time. So this statement was made. The Old Testament law is bad. And the New Testament is gospel and it's good. Old Testament is law and it's bad. New Testament is gospel and it's good. Mm-hmm. And we all laughed, mm-hmm. right? Because we're like, ha ha, that's, so, that's really funny. And at the same time, it's really not funny. Because <laughs> no. people, a- a- we actually think this. We, we do actually operate in this way sometimes as we're dealing with scripture or as we're talking to people who maybe have only a basic familiarity with scripture, this kind of comes up pretty quickly, right? Yeah, and it's it's one of those unfortunate results of trying to summarize things quickly or trying to make something simple for somebody. Yeah. We we make it too simple and in so doing we make it wrong. In this case, very, very wrong. Yeah, very wrong. <laughs> and so a lot of the motivation for this is to say, hey, we want to talk about Jesus. We want to talk about God as a God of love. And that's primarily found in the New Testament because that's where Jesus is because it was written after his incarnation, death and resurrection, mm-hmm. and that's the focus of it. And so the Old Testament are a bunch of stories, and I don't understand the book of Leviticus, and there's all kinds of laws. And, and it there's seems a whole section like, I just skip over that I never even look at. Right. Minor something or other. Minor prophets or yeah. whatever. And they're all in a bad mood. And it seems like God is really mad about sin in the Old Testament. He, like, kills people or kills animals or something. Well, I don't even know if it seems like he's mad about sin. He's just, he's mad, just mad in general. He's just you know, mad. You, you cross him in any way, and he smites you. Yeah, or, or you're just not part of his people, and you get smitten. Smote. Something. <laughs> and so in order to kind of quickly address all that, we say, well, you know, we're not saved by works, 
and the Old Testament law doesn't save us. And so we're not Pharisees walking around saying, you've got to keep the Old Testament law in order to be saved. So instead, we're going to talk about Jesus. And that's mm-hmm. New Testament stuff, and that's where we find the verses we like, like John 3.16. And so what happens is we shorthand all of that theology into saying, well, that Old Testament law stuff, that's not really what matters anymore. Right. It's now Jesus and grace as we read in the New Testament. And I think that quickly then turns into Old Testament bad and law, New Testament gospel, therefore good. And, and where you see it most often expressed would be the Old Testament God is angry yeah. and the New Testament God is loving. Right. Yeah. Which is what, and we brought this up a couple of weeks ago or months ago or <laughs> it's been or, so long who knows it, it's natural days peter um <laughs> oh <laughs> and we brought this up a while ago or natural months in natural this case podcasts. i don't know yeah um we brought this up a while ago in that i asked the question who is the god to whom jesus prays to who yeah. is the god that jesus talks about and and that's kind of the root of this discussion is the very question of, is the God of the Old Testament the God that Jesus believes in? Mm-hmm. And if it's if the answer to that question is no, that Jesus is a new God or worships a different God or is bringing a new theology into town, then he really did start a new religion, and the Old Testament should be ignored. It is and, actually separate. Right, it's yeah, a separate something idea. Something else. And the church has done this. There have been people in the church who have said, well, the Old Testament God didn't quite get it. He was a bad God, and maybe not even really God. He's kind of a demigod or, mm-hmm. a, or a God that wasn't fully in control. And the New Testament God comes and kind of trumps him. And so now that we have the new God in the New Testament, we don't need the old God anymore. We just get rid of the whole Old Testament. Doesn't that heresy um, have a name? Or is the- yeah, so there's a guy who did that. Is that Marcionism? Marcion. Was oh, Marcion. Okay. Yep. And he actually said that the God of the Old Testament was a, a physical God and, and he kind of messed up by creating the world and kind of went bad from there. And he was just kind of in a bad mood. <laughs> and because he wasn't really God. And kind of like all right? the other gods yeah. of the other cultures at that time. He just, right. He's just like, kind of like all the other ones. So then he said the real God is the one that Jesus comes to talk about. And that's a God of love and forgiveness. And. He got rid of the entire Old Testament, and he got rid of most of the things in the New Testament that referred to the Old Testament, because he was like, we can't be having these references, right? So he even, even the books in the New Testament that he liked, he got rid of the references to the God of the Old Testament, unless it was some kind of corrective. So this idea has been floating around in Christianity that Jesus brings a new God, Hmm. or a new theology. And... When Lutherans come along and say, okay, we have to properly distinguish between law and gospel, people say, oh, so we need to distinguish between Old the Old testament stuff yeah. and the New testament stuff. Yeah. And Old testament stuff is law stuff, and New testament stuff is gospel stuff. Well, and, and it doesn't help that when the Lutherans talk about, when us Lutherans talk about the law, we most often talk about the Ten Commandments. Yeah, that's the way you run Which the are testament. found in the Old Testament, and so I can you can very easily see yeah, how you would get this sense. misconception of, oh, so yeah, law, Old Testament, gospel, New Testament, because that's how we teach the law as we run to the Old Testament. 
<laughs> Kevin had a Bible. There's there's the Bible it or something. Actually, I put it down because so I could bump my microphone some more. Yeah, so you could make lots of extra noise. Yeah. So I mean, I if people are concerned that we're creating a straw man position here, that's why I mentioned it is helpful to recognize. Okay, how we Lutherans talk about this can actually add to this misconception when we are running to the Old Testament to talk about the law, and then we run to the New Testament to talk about the gospel, and that's the only way in which we do it. Yeah, and the problem with this, is, as we say on this podcast, and, and as we would say if we were not podcasting, um, you always test your theology by running to the cross. Hmm. And as soon as you, you have a theological question or an inquiry, you want to take it to the cross of Christ and crucify it, and see what it does to Jesus. Now, that's a very interesting word picture. Isn't it? <laughs> I like it. Yeah. And then now, I'm, now my brain is running in circles trying to figure out, okay, how, how do I actually do that? Right, so how do you that do that? That sounds really cool. It sounds really cool. I'd like to do that. So, so let's think about this from just a logical point of view for a second, which hopefully our, our logic is always informed by Scripture, right. the revelation of God in Christ. And... If you, if you say, okay, the law is bad, that's fine. Let's, let's go with that, right? Yeah. So God gave let's the law. Let's see how that works. God gave the law to the, to the Israelites in, on Mount Sinai, right? That if we're going to use laws kind of coterminous with Torah or the Ten, Ten Commandments, Commandments, the Decalogue, sure. or even the whole sacrificial ceremonial law, cultist law, all those kind of things in the Old Testament, right? That's all given in the Torah, Mm-hmm. The five books of Moses, whether it be in Exodus 20 and following or in Leviticus. Oh, yeah, Deuteronomy you know, 6. Deuteronomy 6, yeah. all the kind of things, right? And we say, okay, God gave that law, and it's pretty clear. He said, here's the deal. You live by these things, and you're my people, and I'm your God. Mm-hmm. It's that simple. If you don't live by these things, you're not my people, and I'm not I'm your God. Not your God. <laughs> and the people said... Great. Sounds let's, good. Let's do that. Let's do it. We like that. So what happened is, as we well know, is that in the Old Testament, they quickly did not keep the law. Pretty much right away. Right let's away. Let's build a golden calf and worship right. that. And they got over it, and God got over it, and he said, I'm going to go with you anyway. So he brought him to the promised land. Life was good. And then they fell away again as a nation. Mm-hmm. And I was just talking to somebody about this yesterday. If you read the books of Samuel and Kings and Chronicles, what you find out is that the exile, the Babylonian and Assyrian conquering, is because Israel falls away from the law. Hmm. They worship false gods, right? Yeah. They become a nation of idolaters. Yep. So the, the, the whole premise of the law carries through the Old Testament. This is why God punishes his people, because they break his law. Mm-hmm. So we can see very quickly that Yes, indeed. Um, when you look at the law this way, it is bad. It it always results in um, problems, mm-hmm. right? God gives us a law that we can't keep, and then he holds us to it. And when we fail, he punishes us. And we go, well, okay, that law stinks, because that's what results in my being exiled or being punished or outside of God's grace or something, right? Mm-hmm. And so you look at it and say, see, yeah, we don't want to be talking about that law stuff because that's always bad news. It always ends in bad news. 
And so we look at the, the way the catechism teaches us that the law works, right? Because it's a curb to yep. keep me from being naughty, out of fear of punishment. It's a mirror to good. show me how I've been naughty. So, yeah, it's yeah. A good, okay. And then it's a guide to tell me how to live, which is contrary to the way I want to live. I have to learn to live according to God's will, not my will, which <laughs> that doesn't seem fun either. Which again keeps so, telling me how naughty I actually right. am. Right, and then yeah. I just go out to the second use, which maybe first use too, and you know, right? yeah. you're like, okay. So you understand how some people quickly get to the idea of the law is bad mm-hmm. and an old testament stuff because even when jesus quotes law he quotes the old testament yep but and he keeps pointing out how bad the people actually are right and they're not actually doing it but what we're missing is that jesus actually doesn't approach the law that way he actually makes it worse he doesn't say well yeah in the old testament god said these things but you know what god's really turned over a new leaf here He's a much kind, kinder <laughs> and gentler God now. Just the thought of that. Right. I just, you know. God's turned over a new I leaf. Was, I was chilling with the Father and the Spirit the other day, and I said, guys, lighten up. I had an, we had an intervention? Right. I had a little. Like, wow. I mean, come on, guys. You know, let's let's have some coffee. Let's order some pizza. It's okay. <laughs> no, he doesn't say that at all, right? We'll, he says we'll the opposite. calling you Papa. Oh, wait. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he says the opposite. Listen to this. You have heard it, this is a different version. You have heard it said that, that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder. Anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. You have heard it said of the ancients, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, if anyone who looks at a woman lustfully, that anyone who who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. That's not exactly Jesus saying the law is over and I'm bringing a nicer God. And actually, that actually makes it worse because in the Old Testament, God's punishment is, I'm going to kill you. Yeah. And he does. Yeah. Jesus is actually upping the ante, if you will, with the punishment and saying, you're going to go to hell. Yes. Which is after you die. So you're going to die and go to hell. Right. So it's actually being made worse. It's it's way worse. <laughs> I and just had that thought as you were yeah, like, wait a minute. It's way worse. Not, it's not eternally only, worse. Yeah, not only is the infraction of the law harder, like there's no way to keep this ever, but the punishment is way worse as well. Yeah. And and the other thing is, so so the first thing is, is the law... Just confined to the Old Testament, does Jesus come to bring a lawless God? The answer is no. not at all. Yep. I mean, this is this is pretty heavy law, mm-hmm. and those are the words that I read from Jesus himself. That was from the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, right? Yep. Yeah. The words of Jesus. If you have a Bible with red words, they're in red because that's what Jesus said. Yeah, Matthew 5 and 6 do this quite a bit. It's brutal. Yeah. I mean, you talk <laughs> about Leviticus being tough. <laughs> oh boy. Read the Sermon on the Mount. Yep. And and the point we're making is that 
the law is not confined to the Old Testament. That's the first That's error the first you got to get rid yep. of, is that the law is just as prevalent in the New Testament as in the Old Testament. And that actually leads to the second point, which is, is the law bad? And the answer is, no. The law is good. So how, how do we take that theology to the cross and crucify it? So we've, we've dealt with the the law isn't just in the Old Testament. We've shown that it's there. I that doesn't seem to me to be a move that requires you to take it to the cross and crucify it, if I'm understanding what you mean by that. But this move of, is the law bad, I think actually requires Jesus in some way. Uh, because we're no longer talking about just simply the content of the two testaments. Right. So what we want to see then is that if the law is bad then Christ would have come to get rid of the law, but he didn't. Okay. He came to fulfill it. Hmm. He came to live according to it. And the fact that Jesus came to live according to the law means that the very Son of God saw the law of God as something good. And this is one of the, the better things that Lutherans say very plainly that other denominations struggle to say because of our Christology we actually say that the law is the will of God. Mm-hmm. It, we don't say it used to be. We say it is. And that's why the last two episodes, as we've talked about, how do we talk about encouraging each other to good works and living rightly? We actually can do that because it's God's will that we live according to the law. Right. And, and what we want to continue to talk about is that Christ is not the opposite of the law, mm-hmm. but the fulfillment of it, right? So we are not saved in spite of the law. We are saved through Christ's fulfillment of God's will. Mm-hmm. And that means that we don't say what Christ did was bad. See, if law is bad then Jesus' entire earthly life was bad. Right, because he lived according to God's will. He lived according to the law and kept it perfectly. And if we're going to say that the law is bad, we're saying Jesus, who kept the law perfectly, was perfectly bad. Right, exactly. (laughs) And that he wasn't supposed to do that, that he was actually supposed to do something else because he did something bad. So as we're talking about crucifying it, taking it to the cross and crucifying it. I think another phrase that we've used frequently, and even as we started this, the reboot of this podcast, or the redefining of it is, you know, look at that theology through the lens of Jesus. And so we're, that's, that's another way of saying that is, okay, if the law is bad, what is that, looking at that through how Jesus lived, what, why he died, how he died, how he lived his life, his resurrection, can we say that the law is bad when we look at Christ and what he did? So, if you look at Romans 10, it says, Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. And what that means is that end doesn't mean it's over. It means it's he's the fulfillment of it. Hmm. He is the goal of the law. So that the point that Paul is making in Romans is that 
we don't seek righteousness through our ability to fulfill God's law. Instead, we seek the righteousness of God in the fulfillment of the law, that is Jesus. And when we understand that, that's the turn to make the law not bad in our enemy, but something good that is our treasure. Think about this when you when you think about like Psalm 1, is, is blessed is a man who meditates on the Torah Yahweh day and night. He's not just meditating on the gospel passages. Hmm. Blessed is a man who meditates on the entire word of God. And this is such an important thing is in our desire to be gospel-centered, in our desire to be Christ-centered, it, that is not the opposite of the law. That includes the law, mm-hmm. right? We want to fully affirm the entire will and law of God because that's what Christ kept. And Christ commends it to us, right? He says, you you are supposed to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's what you're supposed to do. Yep, yep. That is the way you live your faith. And that's when he was asked, what is the greatest law? Right. What's the greatest? Yeah. What's the greatest How, how commandment? do you summarize the law? Yeah. <laughs> and so instead of the law being bad, the, the reason we think the law is bad is because we're sinners. Right. The, the law tells me to stop doing things that my concupiscence tells me to do. My, my sinful nature basically has me enjoying going against God's will. Uh, it, has, it causes me to enjoy following my own will, whatever that may be, and God's will comes along and says, you should submit to my will. Uh, this is actually Romans, you read Romans 10, 4, mm-hmm. 10, 3 says the same thing. Uh, sorry, not the same thing, but right before it helps us understand this. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Mm-hmm. Living according to my will is establishing my own righteousness and not living according to God's. So if I'm living according to my will, I'm living according to what I think righteousness is, which of course means I'm not living according to God's righteousness. And that's actually the problem. Right. So yeah, I don't want that the law that's bad Mm -hmm. because I've already figured this out. I've got a way that I want to live. I'm comfortable with it. Makes me feel good. Sometimes, at least initially, right. I'm, I, I enjoy it, and you know I can just kind of go along. Well, and the other reality is, is that when, when the law is bad, when we don't listen to God's will, then Christian freedom simply becomes the reality that I get to live however I want, and God has to deal with it because of yeah. Jesus. So you can't tell me I'm wrong. Even Paul can't tell me I'm wrong in the epistles because I'm free in Christ to do as I please. And then, you know, if I happen to sin, God's got to deal with it because of Jesus. Well, that's not living in faith. Mm -hmm. That's really just living. That's saying, Jesus, you have to do what you have to do. And you're going to be my good luck card or good get out of jail free card at the end of the game. Because, you know, I found a way to, to manipulate God. And I really worry about when I hear that. I hear a lot of people talk that way, is that, well, I'm free in Christ, and then he has to forgive me, so I can come to him in boldness and say, because of Christ, you have to forgive me, and he has to. 
which, by the way, that's basically the Lutheran version of name it, claim it theology. <laughs> and that's not biblical. Okay, that's that's a new way of thinking about that that I haven't processed yet, but that makes scary sense. Doesn't it? Put that way, our own... We're not naming and claiming the wealth right. and the prosperity. We're just naming and claiming the forgiveness right. so that we can live however we want. I, I think as you say that, I know what you mean, and I see that, but it's hard to, so that we're not putting up a straw man again. Yeah, I think where I see that happening most often isn't, a, is, it isn't an explicit, I'm going to go sin, and I don't care because God's going to forgive me. Sometimes it is. Mm-hmm. But where I most often see that is all, often in terms of how we view the liturgy and the church service, where it, it has to be done in a certain way with the right words so that I know my sins are forgiven. Mm-hmm. And I care about those things when I'm in church. Mm-hmm. But during the week, when I'm at home or when I'm at work or with my family or out with my friends, it doesn't really matter. Yeah, it doesn't matter how I talk, right. what I set before my eyes, the TV right. shows that I watch, the music that I listen to, isn't that isn't that important? What's really really important, and I will fight for it, and I will go to the mat and fight you to the death for it, is to make sure that the right words are said on Sunday, right? So that I know for sure that I am forgiven, and there is no doubt in my mind. And I think that's where the disconnect happens, or that's where you see this kind of view coming out the most clearly and then yeah and so that's why there are there are people in our church that accuse each other of being antinomian or some kind of medium rare antinomian (laughs) or something Um, well done well done antinomian overdone yeah. So sunny side up antinomian and then the the pietism and the legalism we've been talking about on the other side of that because we are seeing something that ain't quite right. Yeah. And I think it's it's a fair diagnosis that there's something that ain't quite right. And the problem with the law is that as sinners, we're always seeking a way out from underneath it. Mm-hmm. If the law really says what it says, I don't have a shot. I mean, I can't even pretend that I'm in good with God. And... I'm responsible for it too. And like there's it, no like, end to this. Yeah. And and it actually matters because I'm actually supposed to be trying yeah. to do it as best as I can. And here's the thing. I mean, we all come home from church on Sunday and take a nap, right? I mean, I'm assuming that's what we do. I, I try to. That's why sports are on on Sunday. So you I can like take a nap. Them. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> so what we need is a break from all this. I can't think about God twenty four hours a day, seven days a week. It it exhausts my brain. I can't be spiritual all the time. I can't. Everybody says this. Oh, you just want me to read my Bible all the time, and I kind of go. Yeah, the answer is always. So should I pray for four hours every day? Right. Well, I have to go to work. When I have am to I work. Do I that? can't do that. Yeah. And you th- and and I always go. It's weirdly weird that you think piety is reading the Bible all the time, or praying all the time. And and so my answer often is, well, I don't know. Try that. <laughs> I mean, it seems like that's the most ridiculous suggestion in the world. But if I say, no, what you should do is is just read your Bible for five minutes a day and do whatever else you want the rest of the day, they'd be like, 
Yeah, I'll try that. That sounds good. Mm-hmm. You know, but if I if the answer is yeah, let's meditate on the Word of God day and night. People go, that's ridiculous. And and my point is this: is that we all know the law does its work on us, and it lets us know that I don't have a shot. Mm-hmm. I don't have even a slim chance of living today holy and righteous. Right. I just don't. <laughs> I mean, you pick any commandment and you set it before me and I say, maybe for a couple of minutes. Right? And this is why I get mad when you point out to me that I didn't actually do it. Exactly. Yeah. And this is why I throw up my hands and say, well, then what I'm going to do is say that only matters for this part of my life because I can control that. Because when we started off on this particular subject, you said we always try and make the law manageable, right? doable, or we try and do away with it entirely. That's, right. that's what we're talking that's about That's exactly here. what happens. Yeah. And so when, when I can't live up to the law, when I, when I am face-to-face with the reality of the law just killing me, I mean, by the time I get home from church, I need to go back. Because I need to repent <laughs> again and receive absolution. You last and, as long as getting home from church? Well, I was basically being charitable. <laughs> this week I did. Yeah. <laughs> last that's, week that's not I so much. On the way home or something, you know. <laughs> but, but, and it's not. It's not funny. We laugh, but it's yeah. not funny because the reality is, I know that as soon as the absolution is pronounced, I need to stop the worship service and start again. Mm-hmm. I need to go back to First John. One verses eight and nine, and, if, or the thoughts that I'm having as I'm taking as I'm, the Lord's yeah, Supper, I mean, it's going into my mouth, and I'm and, thinking, and I'm, "Wait, what?" Oh. And I know that I'm not worthy because yeah. I can't even, I can't even believe while I'm up there. I yeah. can't, I can't get my brain to stop thinking. Sorry, I interrupted I you on First John. So, well, that's just that First John one eight nine is. But if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. And the truth is not in us. Yeah. And so you find your life always in that that circle, but. The result of that is not to say, therefore, the law doesn't apply to me, or I'm going to categorize it in this part of my life and say it only matters for this hour on Sunday morning, and then I'm free to do as I please, and I'll come back Sunday for another dose of it. Mm-hmm. What This is what I want to read, um, because it's, it's so powerful in the place that it is. Part of the rhetorical device of Paul's letters is when he says what he says. Hmm. So we all know Romans 7. If you don't know what Romans is about, we have a video coming out yes. that can help you. It's the Bible in five, in six. For Romans, anyways, For Romans. it's in six. And it's as fast as we can get it. So Habakkuk and Genesis sorry. are in five. But anyway, in the middle of Romans 7, which is this chapter where Paul is basically saying, okay, I'm baptized, I believe, and yet my concupiscence still wars against the spirit in me that has... Now, the spirit has taught me to love the law of God. He says that, mm-hmm. right? I, I want to rejoice in God's law. Yep. I want to rejoice in God's word, but my concupiscence is still warring against me. And unfortunately, I see that my concupiscence still manifests itself in sin. Mm-hmm. And it drives me insane. What a wretched man I am, right? Yep. I've Who got, will save I've me from this body of death? This. Who will save me? But listen to what he says in the middle of that. He says this, so the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, righteous, and good. Hmm. That's Paul's conclusion as the law is smashing him down with his sins. He says, the law is holy, and the commandments are righteous and good. And this is the point, is that God's law, just because it condemns you as a sinner, doesn't make it bad. So what you're saying is, if you tell me, Peter, 
you probably shouldn't listen to that music. It's got some bad language, bad topics. Maybe mm-hmm. you shouldn't watch those movies. You shouldn't mm-hmm. watch that TV show. Um, or it's you shouldn't easy with use media. those words. Use those words. Or that my response should actually be, huh, you're right. That is good and holy for me to not do those things. Right. And so I should work to not do them mm-hmm. and to seek to kill the desire to do them. Right. And then you come in the next day to work and you say, God loves me more because I didn't watch that naughty movie. Wait, hold on. <laughs> and I say to you, nope. Nope. That's not, not how, how this works. works. Yeah. And that's and that's the other side of this. Is So we always want to, to reaffirm and make sure everyone is very clear that... When I learn to live a holy and perfect life, when I wake up tomorrow morning and don't sin at all against God's will, God doesn't love me more because of that. That's yeah. not why I'm doing it. <laughs> right? I mean, this is the fear of every Lutheran is that now we're getting works righteousness. No, we're not. No. Yeah. It is very clear in the scriptures that the reason you fulfill God's will, God's will in your life, the reason you live according to his law, is because you have been saved by the death and resurrection of Christ. Because you are saved by grace, mm-hmm. right? And we just had we talked about this today at work. Ephesians two eight and nine, and ten. 10. Which is, oh, well, see good works. It's like yes, that's exactly right. It's the proper order. Yep. Is that you're saved by grace through faith, and now that you are saved by grace through faith because of what Christ has done, you walk in newness of life. You walk in the good works that God has prepared in advance for you to do, and see you never. The, the good news is that when you're concerned about God's love for you, you always go to the cross and mm. you say, did Christ die for sinners like me? And the answer is yes. Always yes. Mm-hmm. Every time. That's how you know if God loves you. You never look and say, look at my performance. Am I able to keep his law? Am I able to keep his commandments better than I did yesterday or better than Peter can? <laughs> you, no, that. That's not where you go to determine whether or not God loves you. Mm -hmm. But once you get to the cross of Christ and you say, okay, I know that God loves me because of the death and resurrection of Christ. The question is, now then how do I live? And the answer is the law. Mm -hmm. We have it summarized in Ten Commandments. You memorize them as a child. You memorize them in in the catechism. Luther helps us understand both the negative and the positive side of those Ten Commandments, right? Mm-hmm. It's not just not doing things. It's here's the things that are given to you in the doing of these yeah, things. You yeah. get to do these here, things. Here's what it's protecting so, so you can keep. That's why you memorize a catechism. So when someone says, well, how do I live? It's like, well, you're supposed to avoid that and do this, yeah. right? And it, they're not the exhaustion of the law. They're a summary of the law. Mm-hmm. They're a nice summary for us to walk around with in our heads so that it gives us some basis of understanding the will of God for how I live out my faith in Christ, right? And if yeah. you want more details, we have a book that's about a thousand pages long that goes into more detail on <laughs> Lots how of Christians details. live. And the other thing is, when you go to church, this is the assembly of saints that can help you understand how to live this out. Yeah, I'm confronted with this situation. Have you been through this before? Help me. I don't know what to do. I don't know what the right decision mm-hmm. is. How does a Christian approach this? It's, and I think where you often, where you see that the most often in the congregational setting would be during Bible study, the moment somebody asks, 
pastor, professor, teacher, whatever, is this a sin to right. whatever? And that's the moment where that's usually where we actually start getting in trouble. Yeah. Because we immediately want to say, no, it's not a sin. Yeah, you're good. Don't worry about it. Yeah, we want to justify. We want to say, you're okay. Mm-hmm. Because the person who's asking that question, there's there's usually a few, one of a few things going on. Maybe they're struggling with it and they feel guilty and they don't want to be guilty, but they still want to do it. They have a friend who's doing it, who they're trying to talk to, maybe talk out of doing the thing, or they want to allow them to do the thing. Um, but it, it's never just a benign theoretical. Right. Th- no. There's there's a person involved. This who's, is never benign. Who's who's doing it in one way or another? Who who's either trying to get out of it or wants to continue doing it? Yeah. And so answering that question with no, that's not a sin, isn't helpful right off the bat because of what we've been talking about here. You don't want to do away with the law. Right. But at the same time. It's not necessarily the right answer to say, yes, that's a sin. Cut it out. Right. <laughs> Although... As the I, full answer. As that, that, boom, there it is. Because now you get into this position of, okay, well, let me find the things that are sins. I'm not going to do those. Give me the list of things that are not sinful, and I'll just do those things. Or I will make sure next time I see you to not mention that I do that thing. Yeah, so that you don't find out that I'm doing because it. Because I don't want you thinking I'm going to hell. Or I don't want you bothering me, me about it. Yeah, yeah. And so stop telling me to watch that TV show. So I'm just and not this is tell actually you that I watch it. This is really funny. A lot of people actually talk about this. Is that um, churches that focus a lot on discipleship and how to live basically create a congregation of people who don't want to talk to each other because when your sermon is here are the ten things you should stop doing this week, that mm-hmm. basically just means next week I'm not going to talk to you about those things. Yeah, because I didn't stop doing them. Right. You see, <laughs> and and this is something I know we're running out of time, but this is something to to continue to think through is that the motivation for keeping the will and law of God is not to earn points. Mm-hmm. It's before of, God or before each other at all. Yeah. yeah. It's simple. And it's not even behavior modification. It's to live according to the will of God. One, because he loves you. And because he loves you, you can trust that what he wants for you is the very best thing mm-hmm. for you and for every person you love. I am convinced that if I were to live according to God's will, my wife would be happier. Yeah. The problem in my marriage is my sin. Yeah. If I could learn to love her the way Christ would have me love her, Mm -hmm. that would be the very best thing I could do to be a husband. Yeah, if I loved my wife the way Christ loves his church... And did it perfectly. She would be happier. Yep. And I don't mean happy in a superficial way. I mean truly happy. She would be truly content in every way. Because that is God's will. And this God who we're talking about loves us. Yeah. He would not will something for us that is hurtful or a killjoy or something like that. When God says don't do that, you might want to listen because he <laughs> might be right. He's, he's not being a killjoy. Unless you are developing your own standard of righteousness, right. like we talked about in Romans. Yeah, and, and so that's the other motivation, is, is the first motivation is, this is the God who loves me so much, he saved me, so I literally owe him my life. Mm-hmm. So if he says, jump, I'm going to say, how high? Because he's in charge, he's God, and, yep. I, and he's done so much for me that my first response is thanks, right? Yep. yep. 
But the other thing is that I am firmly convinced that my, the best way to serve my neighbor is to live according to the will of God. Yeah. The very best thing I can do to serve my neighbor is to not sin anymore. And that if we go forth learning to love God with our whole heart, all, our whole mind, our, our strength, and all the list, and love our neighbor as ourselves, that is living according to the will of God. And this is what Christ has done for us. He accomplished it all. He accomplished it perfectly. And when we're asking these questions, we run to him and say, how do I understand this through what Christ did for me? Because that is the crucial conversation. We'll see you guys next time. Thanks.